I was thinking about coming back and, and what I would want to like preach on. And um, I kept coming back to this. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching Philippians in um, Winston. That really didn't have necessarily why. Um, I, I preached uh, Philippians 1 when I, when I announced to you. And I actually preached that text last week. Um, and I talked about you all. And um, I thought that this would kind of capture some of the essence of what it feels like um, to be uh, to be separated, um, what absence feels like when, and it's not necessarily about me as much as it is just about what happens when um, there's there's a, a relationship that used to be one way and it looks a different way, um, and and that's how it is with with Paul and the Philippians. Like this is a, a book that where he's he's he talks more about his absence um, and his desire to be with this church than than any of his other other letters. Um, it's a church that quite possibly he loves the most. He just loves this church, you know. In the founding of the church, it was a very dramatic, you know, thing in the founding of this church with with Lydia and the the slave girl and the Philippian jailer and how this church began and how Paul's vision to go into Macedonia where the Lord blocked him from going somewhere else to go to this specific place and how important this city was in the Roman world. All of that's part of the story, the matrix of Paul's experience with them, how much he loves them. Um, Paul would visit that first time, plant the church, and then he'd come back seven years later, and then he came back uh, three more times after that. Um, and if you read the letter, you feel it drips with Paul's affection. He has special names for them. He loves this congregation. And yet, like there's this piece of him that he wants to be with them, but he can't because he's in prison. He, he longs to be there. You feel it from the letter, how much he wishes he could be with them, but he cannot. And um, I remember, like, as a kid, like, when my, uh, my dad did not, did not go places. Like, he wasn't gone a lot. Now, he worked a lot of evenings, but he didn't travel anywhere. But there was two specific times where he was out of town. And I remember one time we, we came home from being somewhere with my mom and my sister, and we pull up to our house, and my dad's out of town, and the front door is wide open. And my mom, like, my mom has a deep fear whenever she she just gets would get really scared someone would always have to come over and stay the night with us whenever my dad was gone which was rare and um so we're like what do we do we thought someone broke in so she goes to the neighbor across the street his name was jim and jim grabs his shotgun walks across the street and we're all sitting in the car like freaking out and he goes in and he opens he starts looking around and starts opening doors and gets this one closet, and as he opens the closet door, and, and this would be notorious for my family, like this closet was a, like where you hid everything, like, and so as he opens the door, this like broomstick falls down, and he described it to us like he really almost shot the broomstick. Um, the, the, the second time that I remember when my dad was gone is my sister had gone into a room, and she walks out, and we're all sitting in the living room, and her face is just white as a sheet and she said someone's in her room and uh, my mom got in the car and went and got my dad's friend Mark Dvorak and it was a much a very similar like experience um, 
Mark comes over, checks out the house, makes sure everything's okay. And apparently, like, what was happening is the wind had sh- had was coming through my sister's window, and her sh- her her uh, um, drapery. It looked like somebody was was in the drapery. Like, it was. F- I was so afraid as a kid, and um, I remember these stories. They drip with fear for me, um, and it it centers around my dad's absence, like things happened when my dad was gone that brought this like fear um and then i think about the times when i've been absent from my kids um it seems like every time i go somewhere like a kid get would get sick or something would break and how helpless i would feel away from my family um when i couldn't be there with them and um there was this one specific time where i was gone for three weeks we lived in lubbock and I was in China, and I took a team of students to China, and I remember how much my, I was just so homesick. Um, my kids were all very, very small, and I just, they, they had written me like letters and stuff before I left, and, they, and Danette had stuck them in my bag, and I remember sitting in the airport, like pulling those letters out, and I was just in tears, and I tried to get to go home early, and I got blocked, and I couldn't come home early. There was just this ache that I had in my soul to be with them. Um, my question for you this morning as we get into this is, what does a lack of someone's presence, now some of you, lots of you, have experienced the death of a parent, someone that you love, you are separated, many of you, from family by distance, um, what does that lack of presence conjure up in you? especially for the people that you love. Remember Paul's love for this church. What does absence do to you? For Paul, um, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul longs to be with the Philippians. He can't be. The Philippians long for Paul's presence. And what does he call them to do? Three things this morning. One, working out your salvation. Two, remember God is working. Three, working and waiting for Timothy. The first, working out uh, our salvation. Starts with a therefore. What's the therefore? Connects this passage to the passage before it. And the passage before it is really the, the baseline of Philippians. It's the Jesus song this hymn that the the early church sang about Jesus. Because Jesus is fully God, because Jesus is fully man, because Jesus went to the cross and emptied himself of all of his glory, so we, glory emptiers, can be full again because God the Father will highly exalt him. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does it look like, um, City Press, to work out your salvation in the midst of loss and absence? Paul's point here is that Christ's saving work is comprehensive. Jesus rescues us not only from from our uh, sin's guilt and punishment, but also from its controlling power. He rescues us not only from personal defilement, but from interpersonal alienation. And in rescuing us from sin's guilt and condemnation, Christ does all of that 
apart from us. He, he obeys in our place. He, he suffers in our place. He, he rises to victorious life in our place. And he even gives us faith by his spirit. Now, on the other hand, in rescuing us from sin, sin's controlling power, Christ still does it all, but he does it through us. His spirit enlivens us, enlists us, enables us. His spirit animates us. Picture the animator bringing to life his work by animation, suddenly arms and legs moving along. Christ does all of this by his Holy Spirit. So we see this. God works and wills in us to obey and to do what he calls us to do, but it's Christ's work in us. Now, our salvation from alienation includes not only reconciling us to himself, but also reconciling us to one another through the cross of Jesus. But this work is hard, especially in the midst of suffering, in the midst of absence. Like the working out for the Philippians in Paul's absence, and conversely, the working out of Paul's salvation as he is going to death even with the hope of release. Some of the things that um, like I've experienced in the, the seven weeks, like it's only been seven weeks, y'all. Like let's not get too dramatic. But in the seven weeks of not being with you is like there is, there is unmet longing. Like, I experienced this uh, very clearly. Um, I, w- I had just come off a trip to Savannah with my buddy Chris for his 40th birthday, and I-, I had this realization of just how everything was around me was new. Like a new place, new culture, tons of new people. And I found myself longing just to be in this place where, like, like I knew something. Like I knew something about the place. And, you know... I knew how to get to work without a map. I knew how to. I knew which restaurant to go to. Um, I knew the people, and they knew me. And what I became aware of in this moment was just like how aware I was of myself, and and how I was thinking about okay, how are people receiving me? And in this like big unknown place, like there was this longing for for me to be known, for someone to know me. For me to just be able to move, and like I move here, like amidst you all. I know you. You know me. I know this place. I know this culture. And yet, I'm not here. And there's this unmet longing. So what, what, what do I do with that? Now, part of working out your salvation with fear and trembling is knowing what to do with those longings that are unmet, uh, you, you think about your spouses, the people that maybe be closest to you, or your parents, or your friends. When, when they don't see you the way you want to be seen, when they don't do things for you that you want them to do for you, like you're confronted in that moment with what? A, a longing that they can't fulfill. And, and you might have the expectation still for them to fulfill it, but they can't. Where do you go with that? The, the Bible calls us to take these unmet longings, these places, and to give them to God and to work out our salvation by finding 
our hope and our life in his life, in who he is for us, in a life with God. I think about you as a church in this season of the unknown and transition. What are the unmet longings that you have as you sit here in the seats week in, week out? Some of you in the midst of transition yourself that are, that are upcoming. The unknown. Think about the Philippian church and the unknown. As they sit on the edge of the Roman world, the Pax Romana going out, the gospel of Rome going out through them. Nero the emperor. This church under threat. Now, the Philippian church doesn't have a thing. Paul isn't addressing a thing with this church. It's one of the unique things of, of this church. But there was things going on. There was unknown. And as we kind of jettison into the rest of this year, 2024, if you've been here long enough, if you've been in church long enough, you know how election years can feel for us. There is an unknown. What do you do with that? Well, Paul makes it very clear what often we do. We, we, we grumble and we dispute. When you get anxious, afraid, fear of the unknown, it boils over into grumbling, disputing, complaining. You, you might be a whiner. If you wake up negative, life's not fair. You might be a martyr. No one appreciates me. You might be a cynic. Nothing changes. Everything's getting worse. You might be a perfectionist. Nothing is ever good enough. At different times, I see all four of those things in me. And it feels so good when those things come out. It feels so righteous. But what does grumbling do? It, it, it destroys community and life and unity. And Paul is very much like, He's setting the stage like on a macro level, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, connecting that to the Christ him, remembering who you are in Christ. But then on a micro level, he gets down with this community and he says, look, man, like the way you work this out, you don't grumble, you don't complain. And then notice 13, for it is God who works in you. He gains he brings it back always to the work of God. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working for his good pleasure in City Press. He's working for his good pleasure in you. He's working for his good pleasure in your family. And the, the unique thing about these community commands of Philippians, they're all like Southern translation. Y'all. Therefore, my beloved, as you all have always obeyed, so now, not only in my present, but much more in my absent, work out y'all's own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in y'all, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling, disputing, that y'all, now hear this, like this changes this. We Americans are radical individualists. Understanding communal collectivity is more east than west. And for this church, Paul is speaking to them as a whole. It changes the way this works. 
that you all may be blameless, innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you, you all shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, all of you, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain, labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of y'all's faith. I'm glad and I rejoice with y'all. Likewise, y'all should be glad and rejoice with me. Like the Greek has a term, a plural, second person. So does the South. So members of this family work out the family salvation of communal harmony and reconciliation only as as each of us appropriates the comprehensive salvation that Jesus has achieved and is applying to individuals through spirit-given life and repentance and faith, does this work itself out? In other words, we need the Spirit to rescue us, to change our desires, to will and to work out our salvation. So the best gift in the midst of absence is y'all for each other. With the caveat, the temptation with each other is to grumble and complain. I want you to sit into that for a second. Because then Paul kind of gives some more like injunctions upon this. I'm not going to touch on all of them. But he says, um, hold, hold fast, y'all, to the word of life. I read this this week from um, a pastor. My solution to the problem of having squandered years of my life to addiction was to then just become addicted to proving myself. And then that solution turned into its own problem. And, well, that's usually how the cycle goes. When, when Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me, maybe he's inviting us to deny the part of us that wants to see itself as separate from God and others. Deny the self that always creates a list of demands. Deny the self that is so turned in on itself that it cannot see much of anything beyond itself. Deny the self that says really, really horrible things to you about you. Deny the self that pretends you never need help. These are the parts of me that should really be deplatformed. Every time our me-based solutions to our me-based problems fail us, just know this, it is in the tombs of our self-manufactured darkness that God always shines the brightest. Since he says we should follow him, does it not mean that he's right in the front, that he's always going before us, that he's always in the pole position, and we get to spiritually just draft off of him. That's the rest and the help we need. It's found in the spiritual slipstream of following Jesus, the one who says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I tell you that because that is the word of life that you should cling to. The gospel says it is Jesus' work for you, and you are slipstreaming off of that Jesus, and that's the working out of salvation in the midst of absence. And he says other things. He reminds them that their labor is not in vain. He calls them to rejoice. 
There's much that we could say about that, but the last thing I want to leave you with in this section is verse 17. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you all should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul ends this section talking about how he and the Philippians together work out their salvation in fear and trembling. Like Israel had this complex system of sacrifice and ritual for the forgiveness of sins. And one of those was a drink offering. An animal would be placed upon the coals and the priest would go through the rituals surrounding the sacrifice. And the drink offering was wine or oil and would be poured out like a 40 ounce. You like that, Rich? Poured out upon the sacrifice. And the flames would rise and aroma would fill the sacrifice and it would go up to the Lord and it'd be pleasing to God. And here's what Paul's saying. The Philippians' faith is a sacrifice. Paul's life is then poured out upon it and these things intertwined become a thing that's pleasing to God. On the day of Christ, Paul says, your faith is a sacrifice. My life is poured out as a drink offering. This is what he says is their partnership in the gospel. What I do and what you do, a sacrifice of faith, a life poured out for that faith, together make an aroma pleasing to the Lord. This is how we should see our lives together. As a new pastor comes, this is how you should see your life together with that new pastor. Life poured out for your faith blending together to make a sweet aroma to our God. This is the place, the mission of, from, where, from which the mission of God goes forward. Paul says to shine like stars in the universe amongst a generation that's complaining and blaming in their anxiety, overwhelmed. You become this non-anxious presence together. And it's a pleasing offering to the Lord. Last point, quickly. Working while waiting for Timothy. Like here in this passage, I didn't read all of it, but Paul reveals some things about himself. In this passage, Paul shows his need. He, he has these deep needs. And God in his mercy sends Paul from the Philippian church Epaphroditus to be a help to Paul. We see Paul's heart. Epaphroditus gets sick, and Paul describes his emotional state. If he were to die, it would be sorrow upon sorrow for both of us. It's no, he's with Christ, is far better. Paul says, I want, I want Epaphroditus here with me. I need him here with me. And if he's not, it's sorrow upon sorrow. Paul is expressing his heart. He has, he has this deep need for connection and relationship, for, for the mercy of God that comes through his brother ministering to him. And then Paul adds that Epaphroditus is going to return to the Philippians. So he says all of these things, and yet he's prepared to send him out. But not only him. Timothy too. I'm going to send Timothy soon. And an important question about the epistles of Paul is, how does the epistle get to the Philippians? How are they going to get the letter? And the text explains, Epaphroditus is going to bring it now, and then Timothy's going to come on and he's going to pastor you, train you, encourage you, equip you. Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern. Listen to this, listen to this. What kind of pastor is Timothy going to be? He's going to show a genuine concern for your welfare. Doesn't talk about necessarily his administration, his preaching, 
He's the best shepherd I know. No one like him will show genuine concern for you. Now think about Paul in prison. Paul does not say, I have no one else like him. I am in prison. I need to keep him with me. That would be reasonable. I don't want to lose him. He's too important to lose. No, he, he lets Timothy go. He sends him out. This is City Press's big vision, that we send people out of here. We don't hold on to them. Leaders, people, your children. Our aim is to take these arrows and shoot them out into our world. Not to hang on to them, but to send them out. Timothy is looking after you. Everyone else looks after themselves. But Timothy is concerned about Jesus, Paul says. He's looking out for the people of Jesus. And this is the same, this is the same thing that Jesus does for you. As you wait, the waiting is the hardest part. But this text, and why I chose it, is to say like, At the heart of this, y'all, is trusting God that he is more concerned for your welfare than anyone else. And he's going to bring that Timothy in here to be your pastor. And in the midst of this absence, you have each other to hold on to and to cling to. How do you know? Well, it's God's deal. It's God's work, right? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says earlier, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is a call in the absence to step in and trust what God says is true about you, that he loves you. He's going to take care of you. When we left, Jaden um, she goes, there's going to be all these things. I'm going to call them Jaden Winks, things that you would see and you'll remember me by. And, I'm going to, and it's going to be my presence to you in absence. And there's been so many things for me in seven weeks, again, not to be too dramatic, um, that have been City Press Winks to me in my time in Winston. And I'm thankful for it because like, like y'all, like I, I feel all this stuff with you to be separated from you. I feel the absence. And yet there's then these winks of God's faithfulness of our stories together. Jaden winks where you remember like, oh yeah, you like this, don't you? Um, those are the, like the Ebenezer stones of our, of, our, of our stories as they're linked together, of how um, God kind of carries us through in the midst of these absences, the way it helps us to work out our salvation and fear and trembling together. Uh, as you wait for a new pastor, there's, there's all sorts of ways that God is going to show his faithfulness to you. And what Charlie said is true. Like, you, you have been stretched, and you will be stretched some more. And uh, so will I and have been, and will continue to be. Um, I'll just say this, like, uh, you know, my family's done done really, really well. It's certainly been a challenge, but it's been really, really as good as it could be. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for your prayers in that. 
um, I've experienced God's presence in the midst of your of not being with you, and it's been um, both sweet and challenging. Um, and I hope that that will be true for you um, in this season of waiting. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would um, help us to know that, man, like you, you have, uh, you are at work in all of this. We're seeing it in so many different ways, and yet challenges come week in, week out, and we're called once again to trust that that you're going to work this out for your good purpose and your good pleasure, and we're to join you in that work trusting completely on the work of the finished work of Christ to animate us in the present moment aiming us to the future to finish so we pray for that we pray for city press as, as she waits for a new pastor we pray for the search team as they uh, orchestrate the work behind this We pray for the staff and the elders as they execute daily work of caring for people and watching over this church. We pray for each individual member that makes up this place, that um, as they participate in this life together, that they would be encouraged and they would be working out their salvation together. And we pray that you would make City Press shine like the stars in the universe. In the midst of this uh, trying time, in the midst of all the anxieties that they feel and the anxieties in the world, that they would be a calm, non-anxious presence because of the work of Jesus. And uh, we pray as we come to the table um, that we would be reminded of your faithfulness. And so as we sing this song, God, we just pray that you would encourage us, that you are a faithful God who will carry us all through. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.